show how's it going randy good man good hanging uh hanging tight up here in connecticut in the in the rain we had some pretty bad thunderstorms today and uh dodged a bullet where i am in connecticut but part of the state got demolished with like hail and oh, like man. trees falling on houses and yeah it was pretty brutal earlier i have some uh some news on the uh health and safety front i finally I'm scheduled for, for vaccination. Finally. Oh, good, man. Yeah. Good. You know, tomorrow morning, I have to drive up to Newark and get my first uh, vaccine shot. And on May 13th, I get my second. And then uh, that's it. That's awesome, man. I, uh, I got my second shot this past Friday. Um, and fortunately, I had zero side effects or symptoms or residual illness. Um, Cause some other people I know on their second shot have gotten you know pretty ill for like 24 hours. I just said it was pretty much the exact same as my first shot. I had like a sore arm for like 48 hours and I had zero symptoms. I didn't even have a headache or, or anything. So I feel like I got pretty lucky. So um yeah, pretty happy, dude. And another, I got like five more days to go, and I'll be the two weeks past, you know, we were supposedly in the window of being pretty safe. So glad to hear your, uh, got your schedule. Yeah, you know, I got to be honest with you, man. I'm a little bit disappointed in the state of New Jersey. Everyone I know uh, has been vaccinated already, like fully. And uh, they, they fucking yeah. uh, made me wait till the bitter end, man. I'm kind of bummed out about that. Yeah, that does suck. Dude. I was I was screaming and yelling at the state of Connecticut, which I do often about many different things. Anyway, uh, I'm not a big fan of the state, even though I lived here most of my life. But uh, I was able. Well, my wife was able with her hard work <laughs> was able to get me an appointment the day I became eligible, like my age group. Uh-huh. Um, so that was pretty good, you know, because like you know, I w- I fall under the quote unquote worker umbrella yeah. that they created when this shit started and uh just as i suspected like when when the the chips are on the table like the essential worker thing it's just a joke they didn't vaccinate essential workers first at the last minute they were like oh we're just going to do it by age and their excuse was it's too hard to determine who's an essential worker so i was pretty pissed off about that but at the end of the day you know i was able to get in sooner than i thought so it's all good. I, yeah, I don't know what's going on down there, man. I thought New Jersey was on top of that so, uh, that kind of stuff. For everyone else, they are. They don't give a fuck about me, though. You know? <laughs> like, I, I'm like, you know, I'm probably one of the more important guys down here in Jersey. <laughs> and fucking, they're making me wait to, like, the last uh, group. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think you're, yeah, you're one of the most important people in New Jersey. To me, anyway. You 
No, but everyone I know in New York, this is like one of the only times I still wish I lived in Brooklyn because like most people I know, like Mike Scandato, he's he's fully vaccinated, man. Everyone I know has been been uh, got both shots already. Yeah, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm not letting any uh, info out that anyone really cares about. But, you know, in a few weeks, uh, our mutual friend Jeff will be uh, coming out here for a visit from L.A. and uh, me and him will be fully vaccinated. He's fully vaccinated as well, which is cool. Yeah, and, uh, and we, we both we both heard about it. I'm, sh- you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, uh, well, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least Jeff, I'll have. Jeff had a rough time with it, I guess. Yeah, at, at least I'll have had my first vaccine, my first shot. You know what I mean? By the time, because I'll be going up there to, to see you guys, and we're going to record a bunch of shit episode-wise. So, um, yeah, I'll I'll have had my first vaccine, and um, my second one is uh, scheduled for uh, for the thirteenth of May. So, you know, I'll, I'll be somewhat protected, from my understanding. Well, what's cool is the what's cool is the way, like you know, where we record at my house. I can just pop open a window, put a chair out there for you. And you can I can sit, sit right outside the window. Yeah. yeah I appreciate yeah. that. You know, I mean, whatever, man. <laughs> Be that way. Uh, we should probably let people know. Unfortunately, you know, we were able to do the first two episodes of the new show, uh, Road to Ruin, in person. But this third one, we had to pull the uh, over-the-phone deal just because of scheduling issues, which we're going to have to do from time to time. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. But uh, yeah, moving forward, we're we're trying to you know, do everything in person. And uh, for any of you guys who listen to Necromaniacs, the um, the other show that I do with Mike Scandato and Jeff Kashid, we're gonna Mike and I are gonna move to an in person, back to an in person uh, podcasting system uh, over the next few weeks. We're probably gonna do a couple more over the phone, but um, probably starting sometime next month, we're gonna be doing them in person again, which is just that's like the real deal, man. You know, it's like over the phone's cool, but I, I think you can agree that having us both in the same room again was just way cooler and way more comfortable, I think, and just better quality, you know? Well, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, sonically, it's always better. Like, you know, we're in the same room, but I feel like there's just a different, they just feed off each other a bit more. Like, you know, you can like look at each other, look at each other. Like it's, it's easier to not step on each other, you know, when we're trying to finish sentences and stuff like that. So yeah, it's always better in person, man. I think moving forward, you know, we might have to do a few of these over the phone, but I think we got some, some ideas, some good ideas where we'll be able to uh, maybe knock out more than one episode at a time too. Yeah, you know? totally. We used to do that. I remember that was on uh, yeah. the old uh, metal matters days. Yeah. Back when we were young. Back when we were young. <laughs> <laughs> so, have you uh, been checking out anything uh, new this month, or this this? I'm sorry, this week or whatever. Anything as recently? far as music? Anything music, movies? Uh, I don't want. Well, you know, I watched uh, the movie we're about to cover, uh, and then I went back and watched the original Bad Lieutenant from 1992. Um. Just to kind of get myself warmed up, you know, yeah. for Port of Call, New Orleans, which was cool. I, you know, I've seen both these movies, but I seen both of them when they were released, and one of them was in 1992. So, you know, I didn't remember a lot about the original, 
And the, uh, the second one, I definitely it was good to go back and watch it because I only remember bits and pieces. You know, even I was, you know, 11 years ago at this point that came out, 2009. So, yeah, man, uh, as far as new, uh, I haven't watched any new movies. I tried to start watching that QAnon documentary. Oh, yeah, the one that's on uh, Max, HBO Max. HBO Max, yeah, man, I couldn't even get through the first episode. Uh I just got no tolerance for those fucking people, man. I can't, I can't, I can't even hear it. I can't listen to them. It just gets me upset. You know, it, it fucking drives me crazy. These people are so fucking stupid. I, I was, uh, I, I was fascinated by it, man. I like, I watched the entire um, thing. Yeah, you know, I, I watched all uh, the whole season or whatever. It's like, well, I think like six ep- episodes or something. Maybe I need to go back because I have some other people have told me to like, what, what did it pay off to stick through it? Like what, to keep your attention the whole um, time? Or? I mean, I was angry through the whole, the whole, you know, I, mean, I, I wasn't <laughs> that was like, my problem. yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't, it wasn't like there's any redemption of any, you know, it's not like the good guys win in the end or, or anything like that. But it, I, I was just fascinated by it just because, um, I don't know, man, as the months go by, I feel like I need to just gather intel on the enemy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that seems like a good source of it from yeah. what I've seen. Yeah, no, totally. And um, uh, yeah, you know, well, whatever. I mean, it's it's so fucking nuts, though. Like just the people involved in that in that like whole operation. You know, like the the three main players. Fucking crazy, right? right? Insane. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean. Oh, one thing I, you know, this was a couple of weeks ago, but one thing I did watch was, uh, did you get the Peacock Network? It's like another streaming service. Maybe. It might be part of uh, my sling service. I don't know. What, 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 it, what is it exactly? It is a six-part documentary on John Wayne Gacy called The Devil in Disguise. Huh, okay. Um, I'm a sucker for these crime documentary series, docu-series about serial killers and stuff like this, you know, and... Uh, this one was done really well. It's probably one of the better ones I've ever seen. And okay. I wasn't expecting much with it being on the Peacock network, but I guess it doesn't really matter what anything's on anymore. You know, it's like, it doesn't, yeah. It was, yeah, it was done really well, man. That, that kept my attention. There's like six parts. They're like range from like 45 minutes to an hour or something like that. <clears throat> that was great. You know? Well, well as that. you know, I'm ultra interested in that kind of stuff. And I'll see if I have it. I mean, maybe it's, is that, does that used to be like NBC or something like that? Like the Peacock Network? Yeah, I think they're behind it for oh. sure. It just popped up one day on my cable service as like a right, right next to Amazon Prime and all that. It was like Peacock. I'm like, what the hell is this? And then I clicked on it. It was movies and shit. And this was like original programming for that. And it was, it was really good. Yeah, it's crazy how stuff just like pops up these new, you know, these new platforms and everything. It's like every day there seems to be something new. Like for example, I'm getting deep into the Arrow um, streaming app, which we talked about briefly. Um, you know, there's that mentors, oh, yeah. the mentors documentary, and a yes. lot of just like very. I mean, if you're familiar with the Arrow uh, releasing, uh, Blu-ray releasing label. It's uh, you know material that they they have licensed already as Blu-rays, and uh, you know not I don't think their whole catalog is on there, but a lot of the stuff is is uh, material that they've already released as a Blu-ray. So there's a lot of that stuff on there. 
Yeah, that's pretty cool. I have a lot of those Arrow Blu-ray reissues. I have a bunch of those. They do a lot of cool like, stuff on it, too, like a lot of classic 70s and 80s type, you know, mainly horror, but um, they do other stuff, too. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of Westerns yeah, cool. on there. There's kind of super dark Westerns, you know? Like, uh, oh, nice. You know, the Italian ones. Like, I don't know. I like I like a lot of that stuff, you know? Sure. Yeah, that stuff's fun, man. I don't... It's been a while since I've checked out any of that stuff, but a lot of that stuff I've checked out is fun. Yeah. Good, good stuff. I've been getting uh, really deep into the new I Hate God record, man. Oh, yeah. 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 A History yeah. of Nomadic <laughs> Behavior. Fucking great, great record. Yeah, I don't want to say I've won that one out already, but when you asked what I've been listening to new, it's like the day that came out, I just ran that thing for like, you know, for a couple weeks straight. And then I got, <laughs> then I pre-ordered the vinyl and got that in. So, uh, yeah, I've been heavily into that as well, although I'm taking a little break right now, so I don't get sick of it. But, you know, I, I really, really dig that. What, what's your thoughts on it? <clears throat> well, I love it. I mean, yeah. the thing the thing that really strikes me about it is um, just when you think you really got I Hate God figured out, you know, you, you, you know what to expect from them, they, they give you a record like this, which is a lot – it's different, you know. It's – um. It is. It's it's the. I mean, obviously, it's I hate God. So there's like a certain, you know, there's like the 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 Mike Nine vocals, you know, which only you know that's unique to him, like his vocal delivery right. and his lyrics, and you know the signature Jimmy Bauer guitar riffing. But it it has like a very, uh, it's like blues, Black Flag, and Flipper all at the same time. You know what I mean? I was hoping you were going to say Black Flag because that was like my immediate thing after my first listen. I was like, wow, this was like side to my war, you know, moving forward from there, slipping in that kind of later Black yeah. Flag stuff. Totally feel that heavy. And then, you know, it's also sound, could sound pretty different because it's the first record without Joey on drums. And it's also the first record without Brian Patton on the second guitar. Right. With only, with only Bauer um, on guitars. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's definitely, I don't know how big of that, you know, plays into the feel, uh, but it definitely feels a bit different in a good way, you know? Yeah. I mean, one of, my, one of my favorite bands of all time, but, like, it's nice when one of your favorite bands can can change it up a little and you still lo love it, you know? I still thought it was an amazing record. Yeah, and, and it's innovative, too, for them, you know what I mean? It's like, I mean, for... I mean, no one sounds like like uh, like I Hate God. Like they got their own no. distinctive thing. And there's a lot of bands that try. There's a lot of bands that, you know, like I Hate God is the band that people compare other bands to. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, totally. oh yeah these guys yeah, have this like hard. I Hate God thing going on. You know, it's not like I, you can say who I Hate God sound like. It's you can say that right. I can feel these different elements combining to make I Hate God, you know? Sure. Sure. But yeah, it's it's fantastic, man. I love I love it. It's uh, I've been listening to it a lot, along with um, the new Cannibal Corpse record too, which uh, features uh, my friend Eric Rutan, which is uh, really stoked, man. Like I, if you think about him for a minute, he was in Morbid Angel, Cannibal Corpse, Ripping Corpse, and uh, Hate Eternal. <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> pretty heavy hitters, man. Like yeah. You know, sure. and aside from his like prolific career as a uh, as a producer, as a record producer, you know. 
Yeah, totally, man. Uh, yeah, that's cool that he's part of the the band now, like full on. I, I got that. That's on my short list. Check out. I have not checked that out. Um, you're probably not a fan, but I've been really digging the the new Bongzilla record that came out. I didn't know they had Tuesday. a record out actually. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it came out on four twenty. Can you believe it? Like, <laughs> I, I don't believe it. <laughs> uh, you don't believe? Uh, it's. I mean, if you're into them at all, if you're into any of their old records, it's definitely worth checking out. It's cool. They're a power trio now. I guess one of the guitar players left, and uh, uh, Mule Boy, the singer, he moved over to bass. Please bass and sings now and uh, you know it, it sounds definitely like classic Bongzilla but there's some cool more atmospheric kind of stuff on there and it's uh, uh, kind of you know along the same lines of what I God did it's, it's, it's slightly different you know you can you can hear that it's Bongzilla but there's definitely some other stuff going on I've always been a sucker for that man you know a lot of people kind of I think just disregard them because of the name and stuff too but I, I always thought they were a cool band are they still on Relapse or they work with a different label now I know Relapse reissued like all their stuff a few years ago when they they kind of got back together after a long hiatus. But the new record is on a label uh, called Heavy Psych Sounds. Um, it has been putting out some some pretty cool stuff too. Um, they put out a couple of or I think the reissues actually of this band called Sonic Flower, which was the bass player for Church of Misery's band after. Church of Misery kind of disbanded for a while. And uh, that Sonic Flower Band recorded a couple of records. It's like instrumental, kind of more of a 70s psychedelic kind of thing than like a sludgy doom thing like Church of Misery. Um, there's, there's some other cool stuff they're doing on that label. They're doing that new band called Stoner with Nick Olivari and Bramp York. Um, some other stuff too. But yeah, it's on, it's on that label. It's not on Relapse. Oh, that's cool. And I, it's uh, you know, it's funny. I was supposed to interview Nick Olivari for uh, Metal Matters. The yep. dude just fucking totally flaked on multiple occasions. We never actually spoke. That's unfortunate because I, you know, I've always been a fan of of him and his music and stuff, and it would have been cool. I, I don't hear a lot of interviews with him. It would have been cool if that would have materialized, but you know. From what I hear from the rumor mill, like he's kind of a wild card, you know. Yeah, it's my understanding <laughs> as well. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> so for this episode, we're doing something a little different. Uh, instead of talking about music, we're talking about a movie, and uh, we're talking right. about the Werner Herzog Bad Lieutenant Port of Call, New Orleans, which is like. Yep. Most people would think that's kind of an odd choice of a movie to talk about, you know, but I don't, I, how did we actually arrive at this decision? That's what I want to know. Uh, pretty, pretty random. I was <laughs> think I was just like, I think I was in my basement after work, like on a Saturday night, having a couple beers or something. We hadn't really discussed what we were going to, we knew we were going to have to knock one out over the phone before we actually got together. And I don't think we knew what we were doing and you just like threw it out there. You're like, Hey, have you seen this movie? And I was like, yeah, a long time ago. And then, like, I think it was left lad that for, like, two days. And then you're like, hey, do you want to do this movie? I cover this movie. And I was like, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> I don't know. So you could ask yourself that question. Okay. I don't know how that came 
how that came up in your mind or you just rewatched it and thought it'd be cool or what? But, no, I haven't. I, I mean, obviously I watched this, uh, over the you know, last couple of days, but, uh, I haven't seen right. this movie since 2009 when it came out. You know? Interesting. Okay. Well, yeah, I don't know how this came back on your radar, but I thought it was a cool idea because we, you know, the, kind of the idea of doing the road to ruin thing was, was tackle some different things outside of the stuff we usually do with music. Um, so I thought it was a cool idea and then it's just such a fucking whacked out movie. And I even think it's kind of crazy that, uh, Werner Herzog did this movie. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to me. Well, th that's kind of, I guess what I think I was thinking about this film and just trying to make sense of it because, uh, you know, I love Abel Ferrara. I'm a fan of like all, all of his work and, you know, to some extent, sure. I think all of his stuff is great. I mean, I think all of his stuff is great, but to varying degrees, obviously. And um, I think right. I, I had just watched uh, The Addiction, the movie with, uh, with Lily Taylor in it, the vampire one. Okay, yep. And, you know, of course, I always, I think probably one of the first movies I've ever seen by him was, well, actually, the first movie I saw by him was Driller Killer. And, That's great. But I wasn't aware. Like, I saw that when I was a kid, like in high school, because it was like, oh, the Driller Killer, you know, and it's got this punk rock band in it. And, and right. watching it without any real awareness of where that movie fit into the world of, you know, movies and cinema or whatever. And then later on, uh, I caught uh, The Bad Lieutenant, and that's what really drew me in with Abel Ferrara. And then I realized that he made The, the Driller killer, killer. And I was like, oh, wow, that's fucking crazy. So that movie is so such an important film to me the Abel Ferrara version. It's like right up there with Taxi Driver as far as, far as like, just like dark, like over the top kind of, you know, studies and desperation and, and darkness and all that stuff. And then when I found out in 2009 that Werner Herzog was, was now this is the thing. This isn't, I'm not going to say, they're, they're pretty adamant about saying it's not necessarily a remake. All right. So right. when Werner Herzog was involved with a film that shared the name of Abel Ferrara's film, I, I was intrigued by it. I remember we had gotten like, a, you know, when I, I was more into the, you know, film production stuff around that time. And like I had happened upon a uh, like a burn of, the, of this film, like a DVD burn of it. And that was, you know, we were, I was given this to, to check out. And, okay. and I was like, man, this is so fucking out of control. And we'll get into why. But it, no one really talks about this movie. But I think like in, in, in the same way that I can now, that I can go back and listen to those Black Sabbath records that came out in the 90s and enjoy those, I was wondering if I would be able to enjoy this movie as a standalone thing. And I have to say that it does stand alone. If you forget that Abel Ferrara, it's if you like divorce it from Abel Ferrara's Bad Lieutenant and watch this thing on its own, it really is quite a fucking experience. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude, they couldn't be like more different. Yeah, as a matter of fact, like a few minutes before like we started recording, I was texting with uh, 
with, with Jeff Kashid, your your partner there, and Necro. He's more and, your uh, partner he's, than mine, man. Like you've known him way longer. No, no, than no, no, no. I don't want. Him. <laughs> he's yours. Uh, he, he, you know, he was. We we're just chatting about the movie a, a little bit. He was just saying, you know, I, I was like, yeah, I think the first one's, you know, pretty. I would say I probably like the first one better as a as a as a film, you know. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, "That's apples and oranges." And it, he's right; it is. It's like it's really, they're very, they're, they're, you know, subject matter wise, they're very similar, but as films, they're very different. The way they're the way they're approached. I mean, just take Harvey Keitel as the lead versus Nicholas Cage. Um, I, I think I'm not a big Nicholas Cage fan. Never have been. Matter right. of fact, I think he's he's pretty awful. Although I'm a fan of a lot of movies he's in, um, where Harvey Keitel I think is like you know a master of his craft. Absolutely, and yeah, I I think I um I don't have the same disdain for Nicolas Cage, but I do think that his career is very hit hit or miss depending on who's directing him. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean he must work cheap. That's all I can think. <laughs> well, I know that he, uh, from what well, if you believe the things you read, he has uh, developed um, a lot of debts, and he has to he has to work all the time to pay down these uh, rich guy uh, expenditures he has. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. but um, uh, but yeah, just before we get into, I just want to drop some information about the production of the movie and all that. So it came out November twentieth, two thousand nine. Directed by Werner Herzog, who you all should know. Um, you know he's got a huge fil- filmography. Uh, some you know, notable stuff is the Grizzly Man documentary. Um, you know his remake of Nosferatu, the Vampire. You know, oh, great. Yeah. Uh, written by William Finkelstein, and he's done mostly television work, like L.A. Law, and he's American. Okay, and I and that's I'm drawn drawing attention to the fact that he's American because there's something I want to talk about once we actually start talking about the movie. Uh, Produced by Edward Pressman. And uh, he actually is the same producer of Abel Ferrara's uh, Bad Lieutenant, believe it or not. Really? That's blasphemy, man. Blasphemy. (laughs) The movie's fucking long. It's 122 minutes long. And uh, that's long. It is long. Yeah, when I put it on, I was like, wow, this is longer than I thought. Yeah. And then uh, it's got a, a pretty well-known cast. We got Nick, Nick Cage as the lead in the film, Terrence McDonough. Uh, we all know Nick Cage from a billion things. He played Sailor in Wild at Heart. He was in Color Out of Space. He was most recently in those, you know, those movies. Mandy is another one. Uh, Eva Mendez, who was... Um, Back in 2009, she was kind of like a, like a big up-and-coming uh, starlet, I think, right? Yeah. she was. Uh, what year did 25th Hour come out? I don't know, but I remember. It was somewhere. It was before that, I think. But, yeah, it was. Uh, I, we haven't really heard too much from her lately. But, you know, she's around, I guess. Uh, Val Kilmer, who I barely recognized in the movie at first. <laughs> I was like, this motherfucker looks just like Val Kilmer, except he's shot, you know? But I'm like, oh, wait, that is Val Kilmer. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, he looks kind of like, he looks fucked up in this movie, right? He looks, looks a little heavy, man. He looks a little heavy. Yeah. yeah. Like, 
Yeah, it looks weird. I agree. He's come a, a long way from his role in Heat, where he was like a, a lean and mean version of himself. Maybe stop doing coke after Heat and then start eating more or something. You yeah, know? maybe. Uh, <laughs> Brad Dourif, an actor's actor, is in this. And mm. um, he plays like a bookie. Um, you know, of course, he, we, we know him from a lot of th- I mean, he's like a, a, a fucking... You know, he's been to play Chucky, Child's Play. He was in Exorcist 3. Um, he was in Blue Velvet, uh, yes, one of my favorite right. movies of all times. And um, great. this might not resonate with too many people, but uh, I'm a big uh, Flannery O'Connor fan. And he played Hazel Motes in, uh, in the film version of Wise Blood, the uh, Flannery O'Connor novel. So that, that's kind of important to me. That's a great movie, too. Yeah. Uh, we have Feruza Balk, who has a very small part, but a very impactful part, if you guys get what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get what you're saying. Some lesser-known people who became fairly well-known, not as a result of this film, but at, over the next 10 years, we got uh, Shea Wiggum. Uh, who you can you can enjoy his work on a, a variety of different HBO uh, series, uh, one of which is one of my favorite of all time is uh, True Detective season one. He was in oh, Board, yeah. Boardwalk Empire, and he was also in the most recent uh, Perry Mason um, thing that's going on. And uh, Michael Shannon, who was also in Boardwalk Empire as well as a bunch of other movies. So yeah, it's kind of a an interesting cast. Uh, you know, the, definitely with Werner Herzog directing and all these people involved. I mean, there was definitely some kind of budget put together for this film. Right, a lot of names. Yeah. A lot of names. Don't don't you think it's odd that he directed this film? I mean, I'm not an expert on his work, but you know what I know of it. I don't know that he's done anything like this. It just well, seems like so out of his wheelhouse. Like, you know. There's a lot of things that about this film that don't make any sense to me, definitely. And, and I mean, when I, I remember being like, like completely blown away that uh, Werner Herzog was involved in this movie. I thought it was like a joke. Yeah. I thought it was like some you know fake you know like gag that was circulating that because you know he's not known as like a hard you know crime. Like, he's never done anything like this. You know, he's like a very highbrow, like, European sort of dude. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 totally. And that sort of, like, threw me off. I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> it's just bizarre. It's bizarre. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, of course, Abel Ferrara had problems with this. You know what I mean? Uh, he was very uh, upset that they were using, the, you know, the, the bad lieutenant title. And and kind of, I think the the troublemaker behind this whole thing is William Finkelstein, the guy who um who wrote it, because he he uh, submitted a draft of a, a screenplay to Herzog uh, with the title "Bad Lieutenant," and uh, you know obviously uh, Finkelstein knew about uh, Ferrara's um, film that came out in like what like ninety two or ninety three or something like that. But he yeah, swore, and, and Herzog wasn't aware of any of this stuff. I mean, I, that doesn't surprise me. You know, he's not that he didn't know about Abel Ferrara or the film. You know, 
Um, you know, and then Finkelstein was like, no, 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 no. It's not a remake. But I guess Herzog insisted that they change the name. See, Finkelstein was all gung-ho to go to film, to go, to go out to the presses as the bad lieutenant, which is fucking nuts, right? Like, not, not bad lieutenant two, but nope. just at, like, uh, interesting. That's a fucked up move, <laughs> like, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, it's kind of similar in some ways to what's happening to some of these horror franchises like Halloween and Friday the 13th and stuff like that. Um, on the surface, but I, I mean, this sounds a little more like uh, deliberate almost, you know? Well, what, what it reminds me of too is how the Italians, when horror, horror films, would try to hijack like American films somehow, you know, like Zombie and Night of the Living Dead and Zombie 2. You know, how oh, right, right. Night, Night of the Living Dead came out in Italy as uh, Zombie. And then right. the, uh, the Fulci film, Zombie 2, was like trying to like hijack the, you know, the buzz around Night of the Living Dead. So that's, uh, that's the beginning of this, this little narrative I've developed in my head about this whole film, about how it's like, like a very Italian, European thing that's going on with this movie in some ways. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just me, but I'm, I'm like, this. I started, the second time I watched it and I started reading about what was going on, I started thinking about how a lot of this reminds me of like the kind of stuff that went on with like Fulci and like Mario Baba and all that. And those films, those great films that came out, you know, and they were trying to, you know, like frame them against successful films and kind of like grab some of the heat off of that. And that's kind of what this feels like to me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, sure. So they negotiated over the title, and they came up with Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, <laughs> which is like, there's something about that title that just fucking makes me laugh, too. I don't know. It's just, to me, it's funny, you know? Yeah, it's like, it's like so specific and like... <laughs> kind of like longer than it needs to be. It's a confusing almost. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but one, one major change is that they moved it from New York City to New Orleans. You know, and, and then, of course, uh, you know, this is like, I guess, a, you know, in an attempt to, to kind of like create their own story, you know, a separate and put some distance between this and the Ferrara's, you know, film which is like probably a good idea because i think back back in the 90s when bad lieutenant came out that was like a breakaway film for for abel ferrara that that put him on the map with a lot of people really sure sure you know they didn't do such a great job then because like you know i mean the premise is obviously the same and then like you know there's the gambling kind of connection obviously i mean the auto narrative is exactly the same so, I mean, <laughs> they didn't do the best job of separating it from the, from the original, I don't think. I mean, basically, it is the same story. Uh, some of the set pieces right. are different, but there's also a lot of the set pieces that are identical to it. I mean, it's about a corrupt, a corrupt cop. Right. But, um, you know, where, where uh, Keitel's version of the character gets murdered at the end of the film, uh, Nick Cage uh, makes it out alive. Though still unredeemed you know what i mean <laughs> promoted yeah 
I mean, but but still being you're still a piece of shit though you know yeah 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 totally yeah. totally <laughs> uh yeah I, I i don't even know where to where to start you know there's like the you know the the opening like kind of thing with the snakes crawling uh you know through the through the murky post katrina ravaged new orleans water reminds me of uh the uh, record cover from our one of our mutual friend Mateo's band, Kavara. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Right? They have a snake, like a viper or whatever on the record cover. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, as soon as I seen it, I was like, oh man, this should be a Kavara video right here. Well, it makes sense. One, one of the things I was thinking about with this movie, and you know, I, I, I think maybe because I recently watched like a bunch of Italian movies and, and, you know, the fact that Herzog's European and uh, this movie, it, it's, it feels like like one of those like late 70s like Italian films that is taking, supposed to be taking place in, in the United States, right? But, and, but all the characters are Europeans and it's not shot in the United States. You know what I mean? Like, like you'll watch, like, like you'll the watch, New York Ripper or something. Yeah, like you watch like a Dario Argento film or a Lucio Fulci movie and it's like, okay, yeah, this is take, it's supposed to take place in Massachusetts and it's like, the family is like a, a British guy and like an Italian <laughs> lady and like, you know, and they're all the, it's all dubbed and everything, you know, and it's, there's right. no, right. and it's obviously not Massachusetts. It's like, you know, somewhere in Italy, you know, like <laughs> Trieste, Italy or something. And, and even the dialogue is like alien. It's not, a, it's not like uh, American vernacular. You know what I mean? It's not like a colloquial sort of thing. It's obviously a European impression of what they think American people are like, you know? Right. Right. Uh, well, I mean, that's where Nicolas Cage, like, it's one of my complaints about him, where I think he drops the ball almost every time, is that it seems like as through the course of movies he's in, the way he speaks and his dialogue and his his voice just, like, kind of changes. Even, like, the last movie I watched, and I know you and Jeff covered this on Necro, was uh, Color Out of Space. Yeah. And I don't think it's intentional. Like it seems like halfway through the movie, he, he almost started talking like Donald Trump. Well, actually, I have an answer for that because. Uh, oh, you do? Yeah, okay. That that actually was intentional because um, in Color Out of Space, he was playing like him himself, and then there was in the very beginning of the movie they were referencing his father, right? So okay. as as he was coming under the influence of the color, he would slip into these expressions of what his father was like you know what i mean so the donald trump voice was like his dad and he his other voice was him you know okay i didn't i didn't catch on to that yeah that was something that was talked about if you read um you know things with richard stanley and but i I get i get what you're saying you know like he's got a a weird delivery and in this movie uh it just that, but that that's what that feeds into what I was saying though. And but the most per- perplexing thing about it is the the guy who wrote this is American. Like the dialogue right. is written by an American, right? Who you would imagine? I mean, he wrote for L.A. Law, right? Which you know takes place in L.A. and he's familiar right. with how American people speak, you know. And but everything about this movie, even like the the 
you know, there was like the titles and stuff. Like there would be like, you know, post Katrina New Orleans. You know, it's like it is. It's like the New York Ripper or something like that. There'd be like New York City, nineteen eighty five or something like that. Right. You know? It reminded me <laughs> yeah, of like yeah. a, like a fucking Italian horror film just from the from the very beginning. And then this the very forced like vernacular and and uh like some of some of the um yeah, like one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> it's like we can get to that later, but it's just like there's a scene where like it's like so fucking out there, and I'm like, who the hell would ever think to do this, you know? But it's hard to believe that it's like a guy who wrote for TV that came up with this script, you know? I wonder if you're thinking about the scene that I'm thinking about right now. Which one? We'll get, like you said, we'll get that. Which one is the it? iguana scene? The iguana scene? That's another one, but there is there's one there's an additional one that it's like all right. I mean, we're not going to go through the movie beat by beat. So anyway, it's like Nicolas Cage, the cop, he does his job well, right? But uh, he has uh, an injury to his back. And um, that's when we see him descend into the world of uh, drug addiction because, you know, they, they, you know, and this is actually a common story with a lot of people. Like I, I know, yeah, I know a lot of people who get addicted to heroin because they like to party. But I also know a handful of people who have had injuries where they start with oxy and then they start, you know, getting into like, you know, being full on addicts, you know? Sure. Yeah, that's a that's a common thing. So so he's uh, taking pain medication and they, then they, they shift a few years or six months down the line and they show him rolling up to a crime scene. And he's like, does a key bump of cocaine, you know what I mean? And it seems like cocaine is his drug of choice. You know, right. So that's how he gets, uh, you know, addicted to drugs. And uh, but, you know, he's got uh, Eva Mendez plays like this high, high level prostitute, this high dollar prostitute that he's uh, that's like his girlfriend. And uh, unlike Harvey Keitel's character in this, he's not married. So, you know, he's just uh, out there in the streets uh, slinging dick. You know what I mean? (laughs) Going buck wild. Yeah. So, so that's uh, that's kind of like the setting for the story. Um, similar to Abel Ferrara's version of the film, he has a gambling problem, and that's where Brad Dourif comes in, and he's like a, he's his bookie, and uh, and he starts digging a deep hole for himself of debts, and uh, and that's part of him getting out of this whole thing. And there's a murder case that he's involved with. They're investigating. Um, the murder of uh, you know these uh, African immigrants and uh, the connection to a drug overlord, and uh, that's played by a famous. Uh, I think the guy who plays the, the drug guy is like uh, some kind of famous rapper or something like that. Exhibit. Exhibit. He plays Big Feet. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> Not the kind of rap I'm into, but yes, I guess he was. Uh pretty popular yeah i don't really know much about him i gotta be honest i'm not trying to like you know be like cool or anything like that i just uh i think after maybe uh the late 90s i kind of dropped off with my hip-hop stuff you know yeah it was even earlier than that so that's why yeah i don't it's just not someone that was ever on my radar but i know the name yeah Yeah. So what do you th- what are your thoughts on this movie? I think I've I've said some um, I put my thoughts out there, but what are, what are, what are your ideas about this movie? Um, 
<laughs> what I even say. Well, first of all, I really enjoyed the movie. Um, I watched it twice. I watched it uh, today, and I watched it last night. And I watched it originally when it came out, but I don't know if I may have fell asleep halfway through. I never finished watching it, because I feel like I watched it for the first time. You know, although some of the scenes definitely came back to me, like um, the first scene, because they go back to this kind of similar situation where the young couples coming out of the nightclub called the Gators Retreat. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the scene that takes place in the parking lot. Right. Uh, so that definitely came back to me. I'm like, oh, shit, I remember this. But, uh, dude, it's just like such a wild ride, and it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense on the surface. Like I keep saying with a guy like Werner Herzog, like direct this. Cause you know, I'm a fan of the Nosferatu remake. I seen, I'm, I'm not an expert with his films. I've seen a few, I've seen the grizzly man documentary and stuff, and they're all like serious films. Uh, you know, and this is just like, it's almost plays like, like you said, like some of those Italian movies that are <laughs> set in America or even like grindhouse stuff, but not that extreme. You know, um, it, it's just cra- it's just it's so unhinged, dude. Like the the original Bad Lieutenant is like like you referenced Taxi Driver, and I feel like that's a great uh, comparison. It's like Taxi Driver happening in the early '90s, as opposed to you know when the original Taxi Driver was based in what '76 or something like that. Yes, yeah, somewhere like that. Maybe a bit earlier. Yeah. Um, so it definitely has that feel, you know? Uh, but yeah, but you know, port of call in New Orleans, it's just like, it's just so fucking crazy. I mean, some of my complaints were, it, it was definitely too long. Um, says you in the whole, <laughs> what's that says you, I, I, I don't know. I, I was cool with that, but whatever. Well, I, I feel like, uh, it was unnecessarily long for it. was a lot of fun. You know, it was like a crazy movie, but like, I feel like it got bogged down with like the scenes with his father. Um, and when he takes, uh, uh, Eva Mendez, Frankie, you know, his girlfriend, when he takes her out to his father's house and like, I feel like a lot of that just didn't need to be in there. Like it just should, could have been completely edited out. It was almost like no reason for it. And I felt like there was like 20 minutes worth of that. And I was like, why? It just seemed to slow the movie down a lot. I agree with that. Yeah, I can see that point. It was like that scene where, like, you know, he takes her out in the back and there's this like little, like, shed kind of thing where he says he used to hang out a lot as a kid. And he had found some silver spoon he dug up in the dirt. He hid it in there. And I'm like, well, what's the fucking point of this? <laughs> like, there was, no, there was no point to any of it. And it was just like, it goes from him, like, fucking you know, fucking smoking crack and fucking some guy's girlfriend in front of him in a parking lot to like this like fairy tale of him. Like when he was a kid, it just, it didn't, it didn't fit with like the, the crazy narrative that was going on. It was just like, seemed to really bog it down to me. That's, that's kind of really my only complaint about the movie though. Other than that, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a blast. Man. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I don't know. The, the movie came out, what, like 12 years ago at this point, 13 years ago. So I've gotten over my, um, you know, my, my issues with it being called Bad Lieutenant. You know what I mean? I mean, even Abel Ferrara and Werner Herzog were able to bury the hatchet over this too. You know what I mean? 
they they were able to yeah, meet up and Ferrara, you know, they 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 got together and they made peace, you know. So, um, but yeah, for the longest time, I was like, ah, this is trash, you know what I mean? And then I think after, like I said, I went through this big stint of watching Italian films, and I was like, yeah, you know what, man? This reminds me a little bit of like that that fucking Bad Lieutenant, New Orleans version, you know. And yeah, it's like sleazy. It's like a sleazy Euro version of an American movie. You know what I mean? Because yes. yeah, I yeah. Mean, there's totally. nothing about it that seems like it took place in New Orleans. You know, um, like where Abel Ferrara's films, so New York. You know, it's like, I mean, he's like a New York motherfucker, man. That guy, like, it's the whole film right. has this like very grimy gritty like new york vibe um you know especially if you're someone who you know lived in that in the city or around you you can relate to some of the things that are in the film they talk about the cat club and all you know stuff like that did chicks from new jersey coming over to go wild and then they run into the you know harvey Keitel, and you know he fucking jerks off on their window and all that (laughs) humiliates them you know I, I almost feel like they tried to like crowbar the whole New Orleans vibe in there a little too hard to like, you know, I mean, the Katrina thing, whatever, I guess that was, you know, I guess that makes sense in the, in the story, but like, you know, there's an accident on the highway with the alligators. <laughs> yeah. But, but it was so heavy handed though. It was like, like we somehow right. have to ground this in, in the city that's in the title, you know, like I, right. Other than right. that, it could have been fucking anywhere, man. It could have been Zurich or somewhere. You know what I mean? It could have been any, any, <laughs> literally anywhere. <laughs> it could have got Tanji Warrior. Yeah. Play, uh, you know, it could be Berlin. That, it could be, except uh, I don't know if Germans get down like that, but it's, uh, it could have been literally any city. And that's why the, the Katrina thing and the alligator, uh, you know, the, which I appreciate that, but you know, it's like, this, there was nothing about it that seemed authentically like New Orleans to me, you know? No, no, not at all. And the scene, the scene of the alligator. So he's, he's rolling out to, uh, to talk to the, uh, the cop. There's a cop, his bookie there needs his, uh, a favor. His daughter <laughs> got a speeding ticket. Yeah. So he's rolling out to this accident scene to talk to the, uh, uh, the, the one of the head cops or whatever about fixing this ticket and the accident is like it looks like a car like fucking hitting an alligator <laughs> going like a thousand miles an hour and the fucking alligator is split in half and then like that's where Faruza Ball's character gets introduced because she's like working like the scene of this accident and anyway he's like trying to get this cop you know he's trying to get this cop to overturn this ticket and the cop's like a real hard ass you know he's like you're asking me to break the law you know he's like one of these fucking hardcore cops um but that that whole scene it was just so crazy and then like they pan away like kind of like to the tall grass on the side of the road and you see the head of like a live alligator yeah. that's like not involved like over like watching what's going on and, but the colors and everything kind of fucking change and he's like watching alligators watching like him and Bulk like have a conversation and i'm waiting for the alligator to like pounce you know, they've got this fucking jaw open and he's like, you know, he's almost like panting like a rabid dog or something. And then, and then it just completely go like 
goes away from it. It doesn't go anywhere. Just like, I'm like, that was just fucking bizarre. And like, they pan back one more time to the alligator that got hit in the road. And it's like on its back and you see its front leg just like twitching. <laughs> that whole scene was so insane. Like, right. What and the that, fuck is going on? And that's what made me think about these guys like Ruggiero Diodato and like all these other fucking Italian people that make these movies that would have something like that in their movie just because. It, I Dude, I did not think about that when I was watching it, but now that you mentioned it, that makes total sense. Yeah, it's like if you it watch um, any number of Italian films, like uh, had Italian horror films. I'm not talking about like Pasolini or like, you know what I mean? I'm talking about right. like, genre, Italian genre films. You know, it's like, um, what is it, House by the Cemetery, that Fulci movie? It's like, yeah, yeah. I, I still don't know what the fuck that movie's about. You know what I mean? And there's, it's just like this impressionistic thing of like scenes and atmosphere. And that's what I feel like a lot of this, I, I kind of would rather Herzog actually went into that more where it would just be this like, because like it, it turns out that there's a scene with iguanas, right? And it's... Oh. It's Nicolas Cage's character so fucked up and hallucinating that they're not even actually there. He's seeing the iguanas. That is my favorite scene in the movie, even though it's like, you know, 40 seconds long. It's like they're, they're like staking out uh, from across the street, this apartment. And I, it's weird because they're, it's clearly like not where Nicolas Cage lives, but when he walks in, there's already two other cops in there, like looking out the window with the binoculars, you know, and there's two fucking iguanas on the, on the table. And Nicholas Cage walks in and he's like, what the fuck are these iguanas doing on my coffee table? <laughs> it, it like doesn't make any sense. Like it's clearly not where he lives. And then the other cops are like, well, we don't see any iguanas, which, you know, I think they're trying to say like Nicholas Cage is so fucked up. He's the only one that sees the iguanas. But then, that breaks into this song, like this uh, 70s soul song, <laughs> Release Me by Johnny Adams. And it, it, that goes on for like an uncomfortable amount of time. And like, there's this like close ups of the iguana's face, and they're like, they're spreading out their, uh, you know, <laughs> they're around their necks and shit. And it's just like, it's like this total acid trip psychedelic, but then it just goes away. It's so fucking bizarre, dude. I thought that that was like my favorite scene in the movie, though. But like, like you were saying, I wish they would have pumped more of that into it. There wasn't enough of that. Once they introduced that with the alligator scene and that scene, I wish they would have did more of that. Yeah, because even the the film, like they use like I don't know, what, I don't, I don't know anything about making films, but the film, the look of the film is different too. You know, and that's what kind of I think. Yeah, sets, it's like grainy. Yeah, it sets it off as like being kind of different. You know, so it's like maybe it's like a hallucination or whatever. And the fact that this move like drugs play a centerpiece in this film, they should have employed those techniques more to make it trippier. I think you know, and really set it apart from Abel Ferrara. You know, I agree. Like once they put like open that door, man, they should have just kicked it open and like rolled with it because like. I mean, it's almost so odd because there's not a, not enough of it. But maybe maybe that's their thinking too. Like maybe they still want to try to keep it on the rails. But you know, and Nicholas Cage. <laughs> another thing. This isn't so much on him. This is just fucking. This is intentional. It was fucking awesome. Like the fact that he's. You notice he's the only cop, the only detective in the whole movie. 
He's got like a fucking giant Smith and Wesson uh, 29, which is a 44 Magnum revolver, like tucked into his fucking front of his waistband. Like, ex- you know, dude, that's not, uh, cops just don't roll like that. You know? Well, he does, obviously. <laughs> you know, he's not your average cop, I guess, man. I thought I picked up on I that too. Reading, I thought uh, that was fucking awesome. I thought. Yeah, I was reading because uh, I wanted to try to figure out what kind of. I thought it was a forty-four mag, but I, you know, I, you can find out anything about guns in movies. So I just googled it, and it's a Smith and Wesson twenty-nine. It's a, a forty-four magnum revolver. But there's a thing, and one of the things I was reading, I was like, and just by the way, just so you know, no law enforcement agency would ever let <laughs> the cops roll around with this thing like unholstered. You know, it's like tucked right like by his dick. The, the fucking whole gun's hanging. Every scene in the movie looks like the gun's going to fall out of his pants. You know? Yeah. It's fucking, I'm like, he just looks so sloppy all the time. And I know that's intentional, but. <laughs> Isn't, didn't like some like basketball player or like football player like shoot himself at a club one night? Because he had like, he was wearing like yeah. sweatpants and he had like a fucking, a nine like stuck in the front of his like sweatpants or something. Yeah, uh, Plaxico Burris he used to play for the uh, New York Giants. It was like a couple years. They had won a, the Super Bowl, and it was like, I think it was a year or two after they had won the, uh, one of their Super Bowls. And like, he was rolling in some nightclub in New York, and like, yeah, he shot himself in the leg. I think he had a Glock. He didn't have a forty-four fucking Magnum revolver like Dirty Harry, you know? <laughs> I just think it's so fucking funny. He's just like constantly, he's constantly flashing it, you know, like, Remember the, how about the part where like he goes, his partner's interrogating the guy and he doesn't want, he doesn't want him to do it. So he's in a rush, but he has to pick up his prescription or his fucking. Yeah. So he goes in and he's like storming the pharmacy and then they call security and this fucking security guard was like, what's going on? And he's like fucking the 44 Magnum, like ready to fall out of his fucking pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just thought it was so fucking funny. I'm like, that's so over the top. Like it's, <laughs> most cops have their gun in a holster, you know, whether it be a, on their hip or the shoulder holster, like covered up, you know, like the detective style with the sports jacket. He's just got the thing tucked in the front of his pants. It's so fucking funny. <laughs> so the, the conflict in this film is, uh, you know, Frankie played by Eva Mendez, you know, she's a hooker or a high class hooker, right? He rolls up, uh, to, she's in a hotel room, and she's got a black eye, you know, and um, this is where we see uh, Shea Wiggum. He's like some low-level guy who likes to beat up women. And, uh, <laughs> and Nick, Nick, that guy. Yeah, that, Nick Cage is like, you know, braces him up, and apparently he's connected, right? And then these, like, goombas roll up. And that now there's a thing between Nicolas Cage and these like gangsters about you know money changing hands, you know you 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 leaned on our our guy you know and this and that. So there's that conflict. So now Cage needs to come up with uh, some some amount of money to pay off these guys. You know, along that same around that same time, he's connecting himself with these drug dealers who are actually guilty of murder of the murder that he's trying to solve. So he goes to work with them, you know, as like he's going to be like, yeah, you know, you you pay me X amount of dollars and I I give you some intel, you know, and he gets pretty chummy with those guys. Okay, so the 
confrontation that happens towards the end of the film, and this is leading into one of my favorite scenes, actually, is he's smoking crack with them at, at their, uh, the guy's mansion, exhibit at his mansion or whatever, his, his pad, smoking crack, you know? <laughs> that scene's so fucking nuts, man. And uh, miraculously, the, uh, the gangsters show up looking for Nicolas Cage's character. And there's a standoff, okay? And you, we know that Exhibit's got this gun, like, under the table. And he sh- they shoot down, like, all, all of, the, um, all of the, uh, the gangsters, right? But now, <laughs> there's, like... Th- and this, is, this makes it even more, like, fucked up and European to me. Is when he shoots the gun, there's, like, a woo! And, like, a fucking song starts... <laughs> Like some blues harmonica, like I don't even. They're like blowing away all these dudes, and then Nick Cage is like, and there's a guy like tap dancing or whatever, like some another figment of Nicolas Cage's imagination. There's this dude tap dancing, right, and or doing some sort of dance, and Nicolas Cage is like, keep shoot him again, shoot him again. He's like, I could see their soul dancing, right, right. <laughs> it's like. They, they fill him full of lead, and then the tap dancer guy falls dead, right? It's like, who the fuck would come up with a, a scene like that? And that's, that's what makes this movie enjoyable. Like, it's not just like some half-assed knockoff, cash-in, uh, you know, money grab. You know what I mean? It, it, it actually does have its own thing. You know, and if it wasn't called Bad Lieutenant, it was just called like, you know, some other title, like Buck Wild in New Orleans or something like that. Right, right. I would be totally into it. I'd be like, yeah, this is great, man. You know, it's like, it's got all this sleazy shit in it. You know, it's like Nicolas Cage, you know, like Feruza Balk's in it for a minute. You know, all this great stuff, you know. Yeah, dude, you're absolutely right. Like, I didn't, going into watching it this time, I think originally when I watched it, I was kind of, setting my goals a little higher <laughs> not, not my goals my expectations a little bit higher you know based off bad lieutenant the original uh, this time they went into this totally different and it's just a, it's just one of those movies that's a lot of fun like if you're expecting like some great moment film it's not that but it's so unhinged and so crazy it just I mean, there's a couple things like you got a little ahead of me but with the scenes there's a couple of things dude that scene where the guy who's connected is, uh, you know, with Eva Mendez in the hotel room and he, he roughs her up a little bit, you know, you, you don't see it, but like Nicholas Cage shows up at the hotel room with, with this kid who oh, yeah, witnessed, his, his witness, like, he, yeah. <laughs> right. Who's like, what, maybe a 14 year old kid yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So he, he brings him along to this hotel in Biloxi where his, Hooker girlfriend is getting lumped up by this guy. He's like, just wait here a couple minutes. Like, so he's out in the hall and he goes in and has this confrontation with the guy. And the dialogue with that guy, man, like, did you catch how, how weird that was? Where he's like, he's just like, whoa, 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 yeah, whoa, whoa. It's like, like, it's like a David Lynch then, dialogue or something. You know what I mean? Totally. And then, like, you finally, like, He's like, you're in trouble. You don't know. You don't know who I know, or whatever. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then he goes out the hall, and the kid is still standing in the hall, and he just turns and looks at the kid and goes, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, 
what the fuck, dude? It's like so insane. Um, and then the, the other thing is, did you notice um, earlier on, you know, when they're finding out, they're having a police briefing and they're kind of putting together the pieces of like who Big Fade is and who his, the guys, his underlings and stuff. And there's a guy, Gary Jenkins, which is one of Big Fade's underlings. And his nickname is G. Yeah. Do you, do you remember, like, in that initial uh, police briefing, Nicholas Cage is like, yeah, this Gary Jenkins street name, G. And he just starts fucking laughing. And then he does it, like, four other times. Like, he, he says G. Every time he says G, he starts laughing. But he doesn't do it for, like, I think one of the other guys' street names is Midget. And then big fate. He doesn't laugh when he says their names. Only when he says "cheese," he laughs every single time. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, <laughs> I picked up on that. It was uh, who knows, man. <laughs> Drugs. That's the answer, I guess, to this whole thing. Right. Real, real quick about like a... about the Biloxi thing too is um this. It's like he so Nick Nick Cage's character's got this uh, this kid with him as a um a witness for this murder, right? To, to finger these other guys, G and Big Fate and everything. So now, Biloxi is in Mississippi. It's not even in fucking right. Louisiana. So he's supposed to be transporting this witness, and he's like, all right, we're going to take a ride. I got to go see somebody. He goes out of the state of Louisiana, out of the city of New Orleans, out of Louisiana into Mississippi to Biloxi with this fucking right. witness. And that's like a thing. Like That's like... Like, you know, I, I, having done a lot of traveling down in that part of the country, it's like, I'm like, he Biloxi. I'm like, wait, he's not even in fucking Louisiana anymore. I don't think. No. Think yeah. I think they, they reference. That. I think they make reference. It's like an hour outside of New Orleans. Cause he's like, you're a better Biloxi kid. It's like an hour away. Or he tells her on the phone, I'm an hour away or something like that. I, I, I might have something to do with maybe like. You know, gambling's legal in some states and not in others. But like, still, he's tra- <laughs> this is this kid is transporting the witness is their only link to the crime because at this point, he's supposedly witnessed the crime, but they don't they got no DNA, they got no other evidence at all, no gun, no murder weapons, nothing except for him. <laughs> and then, of course, right on cue, he's there for he's there for five minutes and he already loses the kid. Yeah, it, out of state, you know? out of state too, and I, I, that's like the point I was state. trying to make. It's like all the all the actions in New Orleans, right? He's supposed to transport this kid inside the city, right, somewhere to like another right. another place in New Orleans. He drives an hour into a different state with this fucking guy, and it's like, and then, and then loses him, and, and you never hear from him again. That's it. That's the end of the right. story. Yeah, he like flees uh, to uh, uh, England, yeah. stuff that I believe uh, yeah. is what what they end up saying. Um, I, I know we're, I know, especially me, I'm jumping all over the place, man. But this is just one of those kind of movies. Like, you, you, you know, my conversation about it probably makes about as much sense, sense as the movie. But uh, one of the things too, like, why? What I kept thinking in the movie, like early on, he goes to uh, that fancy apartment that you know, his girlfriend Frankie is living in. And it's like one of these luxury places with a doorman and all this shit. So clearly she's a high end prostitute. Clearly she's making a lot of money and he's up there talking to her initially in the first scene with them together. She's like, you got anything for me? You know, he gives her a little bit of Coke or whatever. And then she gets a call on the phone and she lets the answer machine pick up. And it's one of her quote unquote clients. who's like, 
hey, if you're free tonight, meet me over at this motel. And uh, Nicholas Cage makes reference to like, I can't afford that kind of motel. And she's like, but I can. So I'm just thinking to myself, why, why is she with him? Like, she's clearly, you know, uh, making like makes way more money than him. Like, why is she even wasting her time with like a loser like that? That that part didn't make a lot of sense to me. Well, maybe he's got something over on her. You know what I mean? You know? Maybe yeah, I mean they don't person. they don't allude to that, but yeah. uh, I mean, sure, yeah, that could be just part of it that they don't really allude to. But you know, it's like I don't know. I feel like she could do you know, <laughs> she, she like she doesn't better. need this guy. <laughs> Yeah. Well, she could definitely do that. Now that that's the but, difference between a, uh, an Abel Ferrara treatment and this film, because Abel Ferrara, like you know, he uh, Harvey Keitel's character is in in the shit with everyone. Like he's like really wallowing in the gutters, man. You know what I mean? It's like right. You know, he had his his lady where he was giving drugs to, but she was like a, a you know basically a crack whore. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. And exactly. It's like, yeah, she's all cracked out and strung out and, you know, sketchy and I don't know. Just all This movie's not as sketchy as Ferrara's film. Um, but it's sleazier in like a different way. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Totally. Um Yeah, yeah. Hey, nothing against uh Nicolas Cage, you know. I'm not exactly uh easy on the eyes either but i mean you know he would figure she could do better than him you know yeah, maybe he's got Especially a, she's making more money <laughs> maybe he's got a big dick i don't know like that's you know who knows a big a big schwanz yeah but uh, yeah the thing with with uh with uh, abel ferrara though it's like you know you watch bad lieutenant you watch like any number of his other films and like i said earlier especially if you live or have lived or grew up in or whatever in New York City, you're like, oh yeah, I walked right by that guy the other day. You know what I mean? Like, right. like right. there's like this realism to his films that also blend, especially you know, in Bad Lieutenant, there's a lot of this like Catholic, like ominous imagery in there too. You know, he mixes, and that's common to a lot of his films. This kind of like Roman Catholic, Italian, New York, like all that sort of stuff mixes together and. Uh, and then also just Abel Ferrara's like sketchy lifestyle, you know. Um, right. <laughs> like my well, a good friend of mine uh, owned his family owns a, um, a a coffee place in in Little Italy called La Bella Ferrara, and um, okay. my my buddy's father is friends with Abel Ferrara, and you know really? they, used, they used to hang out, party like so. He's like the real deal, man. Because like his, I guess Abel Ferrara lives in Rome now, but like at the time, all through this 80s and 90s and up till, you know, whatever, maybe 20, 15, 20 years ago, he lived in Little Italy and used to like be a fixture like on that, in that area and go to the coffee shop and my buddy Nick would see him and almost every day, you know. And, that's cool. And that's him. That's the guys in his films are facets of who Abel Ferrara actually is. You know what I mean? Right, um, right, right. Yeah. And uh, actually, have you ever seen hit the film The Blackout by Abel Ferrara? I've never seen The Blackout, Dude. no. Man, it's hard to find. I have a, I have a, a DVD of it because 
back in the day when I lived in Greenpoint, um, there was this awesome video store there called um, Photoplay. They had everything. And the guy who owned it was like really cool. You know, I was in there all the time. And that was before streaming really was a thing, before like Netflix and all this other stuff. And uh, yeah. I used to like go in there and hang out with this guy. We'd talk and he'd re- recommend movies. And then the, he had the blackout for rent. And then ultimately, photo, photo play uh, closed because, you know, in a, day, in, in, a, in a world where you can watch anything, any time of day online, sadly, people didn't really have much use for going to a video store anymore. So his store went under and he sold off most of his stock. And I bought the copy of the blackout that he had. And, oh, okay. It's uh, never been reissued? Not that I know of, man. It's everyone I've known. Very few people have actually, actually no one that I know has seen it besides me and maybe the one or one or two other people. And, um, I, people have told me that they're try they try to find it and they can't find it anywhere. And, um, yeah, it's got Matthew Modine's in it. Beatrice doll, uh, the guy who plays Manny from uh, from Scarface, that guy, whatever his name is. Um, <laughs> okay. Claudia Schiffer is in it. Dennis Hopper. It's it's a fucking awesome, very very dark, desperate movie. And um, if you can find it anywhere, I, I highly recommend it. Or maybe, or maybe like one of these, you know, when I come up there, or somebody will watch it or something. Maybe the three of us will watch it and talk about it. Yeah, what a what year did it come out? Do you know? I'm, I'm going to look it up right this minute. I just looked on uh, IMDb. And I don't even see it listed on here. Really? The blackout. Yeah, I'm just I'm all results. Hang on. Abel Ferrara. Yeah, here we go. The blackout, 1997. Okay. Abel Ferrara. Uh, a debauched Hollywood movie actor tries to piece together one wild night in Miami years earlier, which remains a drug-induced blur, and soon finds out that some questions about his past are best left unanswered. So, yeah, even in this movie, um, there's a piece of uh, Abel Ferrara in the main character. You know, Matthew Modine is this actor who is, uh, you know, very... Yeah, he's just one of these guys, like L.A., doing coke, doing all sleazy shit, and then uh, cleans his act up, and, you know. But then there's, like, a period of time where he doesn't remember anything, right? There's, like, a blackout. Okay. That's the title. Took, he, all he knows is that it took place in, you know, that it ha- some one night that he has this no recollection of took place in Miami. And um, at the time, Beatrice Dahl was like his his lady, and they were gonna you know get married and all this stuff. And um, and he starts going into therapy, and then he discovers what happened in that lost time. And it's uh, super fucking dark, man. Like I'll leave it at that. You know what I mean? It's all right. Yeah, it's, yeah. I, I mean, it sounds great. I, I mean, I, I'm like once again, man. I'm not sure where if it's. I, I've been I've been told that it's hard to find. Oh, All right, oh, hang, on, hang on, hang on. It says watch on Prime Video. Yeah, too, you can rent it on Prime for two ninety. I just seen that too. You can rent it for two ninety nine or buy it digitally for nine ninety nine on. Amazon oh, dude, Prime. 
that must be like relatively new because over the last few years, people have been like, where do you find this? And I'm like, I don't know. I have a copy of it if you want to come over and watch it with me. But it's like, but it's, uh, all right. Yeah, there you go, man. I look, dude, I, okay. And, and dude, and anyone else who's listening, do yourself a favor. If you like this kind, if you've made it this far into this episode and you're still listening out there and you're interested in any of the shit that we're talking about, I want to recommend one of my favorite films, The Blackout by Abel Ferrara. And, and apparently, we just discovered that you can rent it on Prime. So there you go. It's $2. How can you go wrong for $2? Or anybody who's listening or might still be listening can also go to your apartment and watch it with you. Right? Yeah, if, you're, uh, if you live, if you live in, uh, in Middlesex County, New Jersey, you're close by, and you want to come over, I'll, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> We go watch. Bring some good coffee. Yeah, we go watch it. I have I have a DVD, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice of you, man. I yeah. don't want anybody coming here. So, well, you know, <laughs> these days I, I I take it where I can get it, man. It's like you know, like I said, uh, it's it's been a rough uh, one, like fourteen months, really, if you think about it. Yeah, uh, dude, trust me, I know. I, I'm with you, man. <laughs> my few my few trips down there to record episodes and hang out have been uh you know the height of my social life for the past 14 months totally bro so just to, to wrap it up with um bad lieutenant port of call new orleans what's your what's your final what, what if you if you like kind of reduce this whole thing to a few words what what would you recommend this to anyone do you like it do you hate it do you dislike it do you feel neutral like what's what's your, your take on this whole thing uh i like it a lot but i don't necessarily i wouldn't say it's like a great piece of film i think it's like the same reason i like like uh a lot of like slasher movies and like from the 80s and stuff like that it's it's a fun watch you know what i mean if uh, if you're the kind of guy who wants to, you know, have a few beers and just watch something that you don't have to think about too much, <laughs> and you like uh, violence and, and drug abuse and stuff like that, <laughs> I mean, I think, <laughs> if you like violence you know, maybe and drug abuse. Guy, yeah, maybe, maybe you're the type of guy who wants to chop up a line or something, you know? This this movie's for you, you know? It's, it's fun. You know Correct me if I'm wrong here, though. For as crazy as this movie is, totally unhinged, there's no nudity in this movie. You're right, actually. And there are many opportunities where there could have been some nudity, you know? But yeah, yeah there's oh, no dude. nudity. Well, well, there's like an ass shot when, uh, with the initial scene. Oh, and he's hassling um, that young girl there? Yeah, well, he basically fucks her in front of her boyfriend, <laughs> and then he tries to like sneak away so he doesn't get brought up on drug charges, and he like shoots shoots his gun in the air while he's banging her on the side of the car. Yeah, you know, this, you, all right, so a little preview like, of what you're in for. Yeah, so there's like a little bit of like there's some ass crack, but no no tits yeah. or anything like that. Okay, yeah. No, but you would think this movie would be like chock full of that kind of stuff. But like, I realized that like halfway through my second watch today, I'm like, wow, there's like all this crazy shit happening, but there's like, you know, there's no, no real nudity in it. I thought that was kind of bizarre. I thought it was a weird choice actually (laughs) to to not have it in there. Yeah. Um, But yeah, man, I I enjoyed it, dude. I thought it was a lot of fun. I I don't know if I ever would have went back and watched this movie again. If you didn't randomly text me a couple weeks ago, I was like, what do you think of this movie? Um, 
So I I enjoyed the hell out of it, man. I, you know, I think the obviously the Battle of Ten of 1992, I think is a better film. Uh, still crazy and unhinged. Uh, but this was just, like I said, I think it falls somewhere between a grind, grindhouse movie and I think you're referencing the Italian stuff that like tries to be American, like a lot of the Argento and Fulci stuff, which I love that stuff. Uh, yeah, man, I liked it. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up to do. I think it'd be cool to do some more stuff like this down the road. Like what's your, uh, what's your assessment of it? For a long time, I disliked this movie. <laughs> like I was like, yeah, I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, what the fuck is this man? Like I, I already have the bad Lieutenant, you know what I mean? I, I was, my mind was closed to this film. Okay. And then, right. Like I said, as time went by, I started thinking about it. I'm like, you know, I mean, let, let's let's revisit this, and that's when we started. You and I started texting about it, and then I remembered certain scenes in there that were like, yeah, that's interesting. Maybe I'd want to see that again. And um, and then when I, I re rewatched it, there was even more scenes that I'd almost forgotten about that were like insane. And I guess like the second, because I watched it twice, um, both of those times I really enjoyed it. And like I said, I had to let go of it being called The Bad Lieutenant because if it had a different title, it would be way more easier for me to have liked it back in 20, 2009, you know, or whenever this came out. So, yeah, I, I recommend right. it if you're after some sleazy movie, which, you know, if you're into violence and, you know, drug abuse and, uh, you know, sleaziness <laughs> and, and, you know, you like Nicolas Cage and all that. And, um, you know, and Feruza, if you're a Feruza Balk fan, you have to watch, you know. I mean, I, I mean, Feruza Balk all day, man. Like, I, you know, I, 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 I uh, any, anything she's in, I'll, I'll watch at least once. And um, Yeah, I, I endorse that. Uh, all day. All day, Feruza Balk, yeah. you know. Yeah, and, and her short, her small scene in this, although there is no nudity, uh, is still pretty good, you know. She's about as... She's almost naked in the movie, so that's you know, it, right. it, it it is what it is. You know what I mean? But um, but yeah, it's like I can't recommend it in the way I would recommend you know another other types of films. But I recommend it if you have very specific things you like that fall into that area of you know a sketchy movie, sleazy, uh, violence, right. you know, drug drug abuse, like that kind of stuff. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah man yeah it was it, it was a lot of fun to, to watch you know what i mean it, it was just it was just fun it wasn't a serious movie you had to think about or whatever but it was kind of interesting to think you know what some people out there think of it you know and one of the um, things is that uh i guess like you know even though they're not even remotely the same film you have to kind of look at the characters because they are they're the only thing that really is the, the closest things are the two ca cop characters because they're both corrupt cops. In right. Abel Ferrara's film, Keitel actually gets redeemed at the end. You know what I mean? Like he, he, ha he sets that one guy free or whatever, and then he gets shot by the guys he owes right. money to, right? So, and that's like actually a common, that's actually something in a lot of Ferrara's films where there's like a rec, a recon, there's some kind of like closure and reconciliation with the character. And, um, but with, with the Nicholas Cage as the cop, there's an appearance of him 
transcending himself, but the reality is that nothing's really changed in his life. I was going to say, they allude to that with yeah. like, you know, they show him getting the award at the end. And then, uh, Ava Mendez, they show her in the audience while he's receiving the award and she's pregnant. And then they show pulling up in front of their little, looks like they bought a little house, suburban yeah. New Orleans. And like everything's cool and he's cool. And then like his next stop is back to the Gator retreat to pull some more of his shenanigans. That same, that same, that same work that he did, you know, the same, the same right. trip that he ran on that other girl, you know, and her boyfriend. It's, it's like, you get the impression that that's what he does. Like in his spare time is hassle, like young, young people, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. So yeah, he doesn't quite get the same kind of redemption. You know, it looks like uh, he's, he's back to his old shenanigans. And he, su- and he survives. <laughs> and he survives. Yet he lives unredeemed. And Harvey right. Keitel's version of the character, well, different guy completely, but his character has reconciliation and, and is killed and doesn't live. Right. So that I don't know that I don't know if that's a point to bring up, but that is something I noticed at the end of the film because I, I the first. The first rewatch, I wasn't sure what happened to him at the end. You know, I'm like, oh, interesting. He lives. Yeah, it ends with him and the guy that he he, he rescued initially for the beginning of the movie, uh, sitting in front of like at an aquarium. And then he's like, do fish dream? And then the movie kind of ends. Yeah, <laughs> but that yeah. that I would like to have, you know that whole like trippy aspect of it would have been I would have welcomed more of that. You know what I mean? Me too. Me too. Yeah. But all in all It was like just Yeah, go ahead, sorry. No, just all in all all in all enjoyable. You know, within within certain parameters, very, very enjoyable. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm glad uh I'm glad we uh you brought it up the other day and we uh went back and, and tackled that one. It was kind of on a whim. Like we didn't you know, this one wasn't very planned out or whatever, but I I thought it was uh it was cool. I mean if you go back and rewatch that movie, which I probably never would have watched again. So what were you gonna say? You were gonna say something? Oh, I don't know. I don't remember. It wasn't very important. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks for uh, hanging in there, guys, and uh you know, we'll uh, let us know what you think of this. If you are interested in checking this movie out, it's on um, IMDb TV for free with commercials. And uh, I don't know. Somehow, I didn't even. I, I never actively signed up for this thing, but it's like it shows up in my Amazon um, Prime account. Maybe I hit yes to something, but it doesn't cost anything to be to have IMDb TV. So if you have a Prime account, I believe it's a free add-on and you just have to sit through commercials every now and then. But if you want to watch this movie, quote-unquote, for free, you can watch it just just how I said you could. So, Yeah, that's how I will. Same way. It's, the commercials are a little annoying, but it's not like, you know, censored or cut or edited or anything like that. It's the, it's the full deal of the movie. Yeah. Well, that's it, and uh, I'll talk to you guys next week, and Randy and I will talk to you next month. Take care.